And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Please open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We are in Psalms this morning, Psalm 138. Um, if you don't have one with you, there's probably one in the, in the pew, or you can open it up on your smartphones. We are in Psalms 138. <clears throat> I'll read and then you follow along, please. <clears throat> this is a Psalm of David, and it says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods I will sing your praise, and I will bow down toward your holy temple, and I will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And when I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May the sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. And though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and with your right hand you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your love O oh Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. David, the author of this psalm, is a gifted writer. He has an ability to connect his soul with his words. That isn't easy for everyone. Amen? Have you ever met someone in your life, maybe a, a relative who... Wants to say nice things, but when they come out, they just don't sound so nice. They say this is a particularly male challenge, but I disagree. I think it's just some people have better way of connecting what they're thinking, what they're feeling with their words. David was an author and a songwriter. And the Bible tells us, as we just read, that he had a way of dipping in to what his heart was feeling and what his soul was feeling and connecting that with words. And making it such that when I read it, and so as we have just read, one of the interesting things about the way he writes, about the way that these psalms are constructed, is that when you read them, it makes it easier for you and I to connect with what we're feeling. Do you understand what I'm saying? I have read lots of poetry uh, in my life when I was very little. Uh, my parents put me in uh, poetry school uh, in Bolivia, and I had to learn how to recite poems. I don't know if anybody else suffered the same fate that I did. So when I was in first grade, uh, they, uh, my parents would uh, make me go in front of the school on the first day of school, and I would have to recite poetry. And, and Yeah, my, you remember. Um, uh, I remember going to poetry class and uh, they would teach me how to enunciate and they made me put a big, um, a, a, a bottle cork in my mouth and I would have to talk ah, 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 like this. Uh, uh, they taught me how to make motions with my hands and I was just very little, but they said if you want to communicate, this is what, so I've been exposed to poetry a lot of my life. The thing is though, as I got older, I read a lot of uh, uh, American poetry and very famous American poets, but I didn't understand a word that the poems mean. Are you with me? Maybe you're like me. You studied English writings. Uh, uh, you studied poetry, literature in high school or in college. And I would read those things and I'd be like, what? 
I, don't, I have no idea what this means. And the teachers, of course, the, the real scholars, which I'm not, but the real scholars would say, oh, you're just not catching the nuances. And they would sort of unpack and, oh, what, really? Wow. Uh, that's, wow. I, I didn't see that. So sometimes uh, the artistry of, of, of poetry can be so nuanced that it goes right over our heads. Do you know what I'm saying? David, as an author and as a poet, is a little bit different. His, his poetry is powerful, but it's also very accessible, very easily connected with. And so for many, the Psalms are our favorite readings in the Bible. It's as if he can say things that are powerful, but they're easy for us to identify with. And in this Psalm, he's trying to get something across that I think you and I can easily connect with. And I want us to take a look. I, I, I love the way he writes. It's passionate. It's, it's direct. It's it's sometimes honest, maybe too honest, but it makes it a, a, a possible for me to think and put myself in his shoes and to think about how he's feeling and, and maybe to identify with how he connects with God. So I want you and I to, for a moment, take a look here and, 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 and we'll put on our poetry scholarly hats and we'll try to parse this out, okay? Here we go. <clears throat> he starts with this, and I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. Before the gods, I will sing your praise. Uh, David writes a lot of songs like this about praising. It's one of his favorite topics. Uh, in fact, some of these uh, poems or songs were meant to be sung in public or in groups. They were meant to be sung as, as, as a choir would sing, meant for public praise. But he writes here in verse 1, chapter 138, he says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I've been thinking about that for just a moment because today we're going to be talking about praise. You see it in your bulletin, hope and praise, and what these two things have in common. See, here's what I think. Whenever we encounter a difficult situation, which we all do eventually, people say and turn to you, they say things like, well, you better hope and pray this turns out well. You've heard that one? That's a special, <laughs> that's a special uh, I don't know if it's encouragement, but the special phrase parents use when they come next to you and they're like, did you do your, did you study? And then you say, yes, I did. You better hope and pray that you remember. You, has anyone ever used that one on you? You better hope and pray, this idea that hope and pray. But I want to talk about hope and praise for today. So David says here, I will praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. I will praise you, Lord, with all of my heart. Is it possible to praise God without my heart? What do you think? Is it possible to praise God without my heart? When people use the word or the phrase, my heart, what are they really talking about? And what do you think David is talking about here? I think he's talking about his emotions. I really do. Now, he was a man very in touch with his emotional side, clearly. Not all of us can do that. But David says, I will praise you with all of my heart. He's talking about how he feels. Now, this is not uncommon for us because oftentimes when we think about praise, we do connect it with how we're feeling. Let me give you an example. People sometimes will come to church and, or attend a worship service and, and maybe uh, have a time of praise. And they'll say things like, oh, that really moved me, right? Now, they're not talking about literally I moved my seat. They're usually talking about like 
my feelings, my emotions, my heart. It was somehow moved. So, so it's not uncommon for us to think about praise in terms of how we feel. I really enjoyed that. I felt uplifted. I was moved. So David says, I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. And then he says, before the gods, I will sing your praise. Now, this is kind of unusual. We don't normally find these kinds of references. Uh, in my Bible, the word gods is put in quotation marks. And uh, I just imagine David going gods and literally doing air quotes because I just think that's funny. Um, I will praise you before the gods. He makes this quote. I, I tried to research this because I was like, what, what is he talking about? Clearly, he does not believe in any other God. David has made that abundantly clear. There's only one God, and he knows who that is. But he says here, I will praise you before the other gods or heavenly beings. Maybe it's in your translation. What is he talking about? Scholars uh, uh, debate as to the meaning of this little phrase or why it's included in here. But I think what he's actually getting at is he says that there are other people who believe in other things, other belief systems. For them... Those other belief systems are real. Even though David and possibly you and I don't believe in them, for them, they are real. So he says here, in the presence of other belief systems, I will praise you, O God. That's important. We'll get back to that. <clears throat> then he says, I will bow down toward your holy temple and I will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. So there's three things that he's highlighting here right at the very start when he's talking about praise. One, he's talking about the emotional aspect of praise with his heart. Secondly, he's talking about the social aspect of his, of his praise. It is in the presence of other people before other gods. You see that? And lastly, he's talking about the physical aspect of his praise. I will bow down towards your holy temple. We'll unpack what these three mean in a little bit later. But he, he is talking about praise not just in one sense but involving the different aspects of who he is and what his life is about. He goes on and he says, <clears throat> I'm going to praise your name for your love and for your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Your name and your word. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. I thought about that too, and as I was trying to connect with what he's saying, I'm asking him, I'm asking David, what, what are you getting at? How does God exalt his name? What does that mean? Yes, the Bible tells us that God tells us in Exodus, don't misuse my name. Treat it with respect is one of the commandments. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. But how does he exalt his name? I've been thinking about what this means. And, and here's what I've come up with. Uh, I'm not the only one, I'm sure. But here's what I've come up with. I think that uh, David is sort of saying here, your name means something. God's name means something just like your name means something. I tell my kids when they leave the house, I tell them, remember, you're a Beltran. <laughs> That's got to mean something. We have a Beltran motto. Uh, I make them memorize. I don't want to tell you what it is because if they're not living up to it, then I'll be embarrassed. But I try to instill in them that our name means something. And the way that we back it up is by following through or what we think our name means, right? Some people used to say, and, and uh, I don't know, I've seen this in Western movies, so I, I've never, no one's ever done this to me, but they say, you know, like, like, my word is, is the contract, right? You know, with a handshake, that, was, that usually meant something. You didn't have to sign anything because I give you my, give you my words. Anyone, anyone pull that one on you? 
Because nowadays, your, people's words hardly mean anything. But here, the psalmist says, your name and your word. What he's trying to get at is that God's word means something mostly because he is faithful. That means that whatever he promises, that he does. Whoever God says he is, he reveals himself to be through his actions. So David says, you have exalted above all things your name and your word because you keep your word. Because you are true to your name. It's going to be important in a minute, so hang on to that. And he says, this is the evidence. Verse 3, when I called, you answered me. We've been singing a song here in church um, that I really like. Um, which uh, part of the chorus says, I called, you answered. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a great moment that he's connecting here. He said, I called you and you answered. Um, <clears throat> this morning, uh, as we were preparing to leave the house, uh, my wife uh, is at the hospital today, and so the three kids and I were trying to, you know, juggle the whole thing. And um, so when you have three kids, those of you that have three kids or have a handful, you, you have to multitask. You know, you're doing this with one and that with the other. But you can't, like, say, okay, you just wait here, you know, pause, so freeze. And I, you sort of have to do it all at the same time. And um, my son was in one side of the house while I was attending to the girls on the other side of the house. And uh, I forgot that I left him uh, in the middle of something. Um, and, and so he starts to say, Papa. Now, um, he's accustomed to saying that. And uh, he just, papa, and he just kept going. I, I couldn't hear him at first, but then he just got louder and louder and louder. Papa! That's, and you'll hear him. I'm sure you have already heard him. And uh, I'm in the middle of something, and I think to myself, what, why does he come to me? <laughs> but you see, he knows that when he yells the name papa, <laughs> papa's eventually going to come. <laughs> because when he calls me, I generally do answer. And he's accustomed to that. Because that's who I say I will be to him. Does that make sense? So David is saying here about his heavenly father, I called and you answered. In my life, David says, there is evidence. I have proof. I have stories. I have seen you and I have felt you and I have sensed when I called you, you answered me. That's why he can claim that God is faithful. He says, when I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. I thought about this, too. I was thinking, how does that work? That when you answer, I become bold and stout-hearted. I don't know what the, what, what the word is in there that's for you, but I, I really like that word. Um, well, the combination of those, bold and stout-hearted. Um, in psychology and, 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 and behavioral science uh, literature, uh, we talk about uh, children's self-confidence. And that children's self-confidence... Um, can be developed primarily through how a family provides a sense of safety. So uh, in, um, in, in child psychology, we talk about the idea that when a child feels they're safe at home, then they are empowered to be bold outside of the home, to know where they stand and what they stand for. And I think that's kind of what he's getting at here. He says, because I know I have a God who takes care of me and answers me and protects me, I know that I can step out with some confidence. I step out boldly. He says, you made me bold. And then he uses this phrase, stout-hearted, which I think is a really, despite all the emotion that's going on in this phrase, is a real manly word. Stout. You know, you wouldn't use that word to define 
a lady. You know, it's not a compliment. Uh, Stout-hearted here. I think he's trying to connect with us guys. He's sort of saying, look, God strengthened my heart. God has strengthened my ability to withstand challenges to my heart. God makes me stout-hearted because he has come through for me time and time again. So I know that the next time I call, he will answer me. Continues. Verse 4. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. He says everyone around the world, even important people, he says they, when they hear the words of your mouth, will understand who you truly are. The thing is, the words of your mouth have to do with what God promises. That's what comes out of God's mouth. It's his promises, his decrees, his promises. But, but the thing is here that the kings of the earth cannot hear directly from God. You know who they hear the promises of God from? You, us, from David. That's why if you point back a little earlier, David says, in the presence of the other gods, I will praise your name. David says, may the kings of the earth praise you when they hear the words of your mouth. But them hearing the words of your mouth is dependent on me praising you in the presence of others. Just hang on to that. May the sing of the ways of the Lord for the glory of the Lord is great. He makes a statement, the glory of the Lord is great. And obviously we are in Psalm 138, which um, isn't necessarily chronological. But if you think about David's life and you think about all the things that he has seen and done, you can easily say that David has seen the glory of God. He has seen God stand up for him and act on his behalf and deliver him. I mean, there was the whole David and Goliath issue. Uh, so David has proof and evidence so he can claim here the, Lord, the glory of the Lord is great. And then he continues and he says, Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. And this little verse right tucked in here seems at first kind of um, disconnected from the rest of the psalm. The rest of the psalm is talking about what David is doing and how he wants to praise God and who God is and how he's honoring God. He's going to do it publicly. He's going to do it passionately. He's going to do it um, physically. And then he throws in this verse right here that says, God is on high, and yet he looks upon the lowly, but the proud God keeps at a distance, or, or so it seems. And I've been wrestling with this verse in particular, and I've been saying, what, David, what, 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 why is this in your poem? What does this have to do with anything? Why speak about the proud and the lowly? I don't understand that. So, so I sat here for a while, and I, I asked God to help me, and I asked God to teach me what he was trying to say. And I think this is the place that everything begins to come together for me. Let me explain to you what I mean. David says here that God is on high. For some of us, when we think about God and our picture of God, we think that when, when the Bible uses that phrase, we think that God is distant, that God is far. But that's not what David is trying to say. What David is trying to say is that God is higher, exalted, more powerful, divine, someone worthy of praise. He is of a high position, not necessarily that he is far or distant or ignoring who we are or unconcerned. He's just saying that God is God. That's the whole measure here. But we are lowly. God is high, but we are low. I think what he's trying to say here is that oftentimes we misunderstand the concept of praise and subsequently the concept of hope 
because we don't understand vertical positioning. And we tend to confuse our position with God's position. And David is saying here, God is on high, but we are low. And yet, despite this distance, God is concerned with us. He looks upon the lowly. When I, when I read that, at least in this translation, it almost sounds like God is like looking down on the lowly. But uh, other translations have a little bit more clearly. It's more like God looks after the lowly or he is concerned with the lowly. To look upon in this context means to look after, to be concerned with, to care for. And so David says, though God is on high, he is concerned with the lowly. But the proud, he says, don't have the same relationship with God. Okay. <clears throat> David understands the thing that you and I live, are living perhaps even right now. David understands that sooner or later, you and I are going to be faced with very difficult situations. This whole month we've been talking about hope, and we began our conversation by understanding that sooner or later, we're all going to find ourselves in a situation that seems desperate, troubled, and helpless. We all end up there. You might be there now. Sooner or later, we all find ourselves in a position where we need help. We continued on uh, last week by saying that the one place we can find help and therefore find hope is in Christ Jesus. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible says and it claims. It says that God sent his son to provide hope for us to promise help for us. For God so loved the world that he didn't want to leave us as we were, but he sent his son so that through him we might have another alternative. David understands that. He understands that God has made this promise. That's why he says, you have, you have made yourself known through your word, through the things that you promised, and because you keep your word. And then, and then David says, this is how you and I Take a hold of God's word. It is through praise. It is through praise. See, here's kind of how it works. The people that are lowly or, or, or see themselves as lowly, I, they understand that they need help. And so for people that understand their condition and understand how helpless they are, hope is a real thing. It comes as an opportune theme. It comes as a way of delivering. And, and hope can be easily grasped by those who are actually in need of help. But those who don't think they need help also refuse hope. Because it is, it is unnecessary. Right? If you don't think you need help, even when help is offered to you, you're going to say, no thanks. I'm good. So David is trying to make this contrast here between those who are lowly and proud, but he essentially defines them as those who accept help versus those who do not, or those who would cling to hope and those who find it unnecessary. The lowly accept help. The concept of salvation is only available to those who will accept it. Did you know that? God has promised salvation to everyone, but not everyone will be saved. Why? Is it because God doesn't want to save everyone? That's not true. Jesus himself, my Jesus himself says, my father's will is that everyone be saved. I have come. I will not turn my back on anyone. But though 
the invitation is there for everyone. Not everyone accepts it. Right? So salvation is actually powerless against those who reject it. So he's making this contrast between the lowly, those who will receive help and thus cling to hope, and those who are, he defines as proud, who, who, to whom salvation and hope is available, but they reject it. <clears throat> and then the question I have for you is, and I, where would we be lined up in this? I heard this phrase or this word this week, and it's this, self-identify. <laughs> where would we self-identify the lowly or the proud? Well, no one's going to say I'm, I, I'm, I'm proud in this scenario because obviously I just made the distinction. But if you want to be honest with yourself, according to this psalm, the way to identify whether you're proud in that camp or lowly is in how grateful you are. And the way to identify how grateful you are is in your praise. It is in your praise. So let's get back to the beginning. David says, I will praise you with all my heart. He's saying God deserves not just my nominal praise, not just a few kind words or compliments, but he deserves my passionate praise with all my heart. You see, some of us have grown up in church or connected and understand these concepts, but we think we are lowly. But in reality, our actions self-identify us as proud. We know God offers salvation, but in some way we think salvation is needed by others more than is needed by us. So when it comes time to praise, when it comes time to be passionate, we think, I don't really need to do that. Passion should come from those who are really lowly and I have risen above. So, so I don't need to stoop that low as to beg for mercy, as to plead for mercy, as to behave without control. So I'm going to just be demure in my praise for God. But the psalmist says, I praise you with all my heart. So look at your life and look at your praise. You can easily self-identify where you are. The psalmist says, I, you can self-identify with your praise by the way you do it socially. It says, in the presence of other gods, in the presence of people who believe different than I, I will stick up for God. And how about you? And how about me? Do we praise God and sing Hosanna and hallelujah only on the presence of others who believe the same? But in the presence of others or other gods or other belief systems, do we remain silent? We don't want to be ridiculed. We do not want to be identified with followers of God. The psalmist says here, I will praise you passionately in the presence of other people. Because I know who you are and how lowly I am and how you have finally offered me hope. And I'm so grateful for that. See, hope is expressed in gratitude. And gratitude is best identified through praise, through the proclamation of God's goodness publicly 
passionately, and uh-oh, even physically. I will bow down before God. You know why we kneel when we bow down? So that we can be more holy? So that others will see that we are more holy? The, the psalmist says, I will bow down. Now, he's a king. He's a king. Why would a king bow down? A king would only bow down in the presence of a higher power and a higher authority. And that is what he's recognizing. Though amongst us, he would be above all of us, our king. He's saying in the presence of God, I am nothing. And so I will take a physical posture that demonstrates that I am nothing in the presence of him. And then the reason he includes this here is the same reason that God gives us physical symbols by which we can practice and cultivate humility. The concept of the Sabbath of taking a rest, you know this because you're Adventist, is a physical expression. Thou shalt not work on this day is a command so that we can practice the art of dependence on God. Not rely on myself, but rely on him to provide for me. The, 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 the physical act point of giving my offering and giving my stuff to God is not so that I will be exalted, but so that I can physically practice my trust in God. So the psalmist says here, when I praise, I will bow down. I will physically put myself so that I will remind myself of my lowly condition. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You're stretched out hand against, uh, you stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes, and with your right hand you save me. The Lord will fulfill this purpose for me. Your love endures forever. See, uh, David is, 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 is saying, God has been faithful to me in the past. He continues to be faithful to me in the present, and he will be faithful to me in the future. And because of that, I know that I will always be in need of his hope. And the way I cling to his hope, it's through my praise. Maybe you're not feeling especially praiseful today. Maybe, maybe your heart's not in it today. He knows that. He understands that. You can't always praise God from your emotions. So then he says, when those moments come, just put yourself in a prostrate position. Kneel anyway if you don't feel like it because it will remind you of the right perspective. He says, if you begin to praise God passionately, it will embolden you to praise God publicly. If you begin to praise God systematically, if you practice praising God from your knees, it will strengthen your heart against the attacks of the enemy and against what other people would say to you. Will say to you. Well, if you're feeling fragile, the psalmist says, start singing. Start praising. See, we grasp hope. We get a hold of hope through the practice of praise. So think about that for yourself today. Are you so high that you are unwilling to give God your passionate praise? Are you so well off that you are unwilling to put yourself in a position of submission? Are you so put together that you do not need to reveal to others that you are dependent on Christ? The psalmist says the real power, the real boldness, the real strength 
comes from the practice of praise. Hope equals praise. 